a lot of times you'll be looking at your windshield and it almost looks like you're flying through a bathtub. From the Museum of Science in Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we search for answers to the boldest questions we've ever gotten from our visitors. I'm your host, Eric, and it's hurricane season. The questions we get about hurricanes are pretty wide-ranging, but when we talk about observing these gigantic storms in different ways, visitors have the most questions about the hurricane hunters. This is the fleet of aircraft and the brave pilots, scientists, and engineers that fly right through the most dangerous parts of virtually every hurricane that may impact the Atlantic or Gulf coasts of the United States. The program is run by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and I was lucky enough to be able to talk with an entire team of hurricane hunters for this special three-part episode. For this week's part one, we'll focus on the question that I would most like to answer before boarding a hurricane hunter for a reconnaissance mission— how does an airplane possibly stay in the air while flying through a hurricane? My guest today is Lieutenant Commander Kevin Doremus, who has several years of experience piloting NOAA aircraft through storms such as 2019's catastrophic Hurricane Dorian. Lieutenant Commander, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So to start with, people want to know if the planes really fly through the hurricanes or do they just go kind of near them? So uh, we go right through the middle of them. Specifically in the P-3 Orion aircraft, which is the aircraft that I fly, our goal is to get to the eye of the storm. We go in anywhere between about eight and 10,000 feet above the ground, so relatively low altitude as far as aviation is concerned. Uh, we like the lower altitudes for um, a number of reasons, one of which is any higher. It gets uh, to be kind of icy in, the, in the, the storm, actually, which can cause a lot of damage to the airplane. And if you go a little bit lower, it starts to get uh, a lot more turbulent due to the interactions with the, the weather and the ground there. So that eight to 10,000 feet is kind of our, our sweet spot in the storm that keeps us as safe as we can possibly be. But yep, the end goal is to go right into the storm. Now we do have another Hurricane Hunter aircraft. Uh, it's the Gulfstream 4. It's a high altitude Hurricane Hunter aircraft. They typically don't fly into the storm, but they fly around the storm at very high altitudes, up in like the 40,000 feet range uh, and higher. And their goal is to kind of fly around the storm over top of the storm sometimes. We're not necessarily in it, but in the P3 Orion, yeah, certainly right through the middle. So yeah, so you pick out the the calm part of the hurricane, you know, not too much ice, not too much turbulence, just right through the slightly less of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. We still get some pretty significant updrafts and downdrafts, especially going through the eye wall, trying to get to the eye. Uh, but that is that is the the safest part for where the science wants us to go. So what are the conditions like when you're flying through the most intense part of it? We are commonly flying into, you know, storms up to Cat 5 strength that can be pretty significant. From a operator's perspective in the aircraft, most of our flying looks very gray. We are in clouds almost the entire flight. Um, going through the eye wall is where we get the most kind of significant updrafts and downdrafts for the turbulence, but also this most significant amount of rain. So a lot of times you'll be looking at your windshield and it almost looks like you're flying through a bathtub. There's just so much precipitation in there. But one of the really unique things about the storm uh, flying that we do is we know that on the other side of that really, really thick wall of water, there's gonna be clear air in the eye of the storm. And so it's one of those things, it's like, you know it's gonna be kind of difficult for a little bit there, but on the backside of it, it's gonna be nice and smooth and calm and gives us a minute to kind of catch our breaths. So yeah, that eye of the storm for those big hurricanes, there's a miles wide area where it's, it's relatively calm. What's it like to just 
all of a sudden go from, like you said, flying through a bathtub into almost clear air. Yeah, it's a pretty dramatic transition, particularly for flying the airplane. You know, you're flying a lot of times with, you know, 140, 150, 160 knot winds. And we're trying to fly the plane in a steady track over the ground, so like a straight line, right? And so we're constantly having to adjust where we point the airplane to keep it on that track where the science wants us to go. And so we'll be on a very significant, what we call crab angle, or the plane is kind of tilted into the wind a little bit to maintain that track. So very, very rapidly having to adjust our course to going from those super, super high winds to very, very little wind and eventually down to zero knots. Our goal is to find that zero knot part of the storm. And then it's kind of interesting too, as you go out the other side of the storm, your correction angle going in is going to be opposite going the other direction. So it's just kind of a neat experience. Uh, you know, the cat three, cat four, cat five are typically where you get those really well-defined eyes, which are uh, many times clear above and clear below. And you get what we like to call is the stadium effect. So you pop out of the eye wall into the eye and the, the air is clear and you have this just ring of clouds around you. It almost makes you feel like you're in the middle of a, you know, sitting in the middle of a big stadium there. So pretty unique perspective that not a lot of people get to experience and certainly something, uh, you know, every time I see it, it always takes my breath away. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, People have experienced the eye of these kind of storms from the ground for thousands of years, but from the air, you know, up 10,000 feet, not a lot of people can say that they've seen that. It's definitely a neat perspective, that's for sure. So you mentioned part of your job is safety. What is the most concerning part of a storm when you're thinking about keeping the plane safe? Is it wind? Is it ice? Is it updrafts, downdrafts? I think the biggest thing for us is avoiding dangerous convection essentially big embedded thunderstorms and sometimes even tornadoes into the eye wall. Our in-flight meteorologist, uh, Nikki Hathaway is one that I fly with quite a bit. She's uh, looking at all the different weather pictures and can see like, hey, that looks like an embedded thunderstorm. So we're going to adjust our track. We're not going to go fly near that. So I would say, especially in the bigger storms, that's our biggest risk is kind of avoiding those pop-up little cellular things that if flown through could do damage to the aircraft. Extreme conditions all the way through, but the last thing you want is a surprise extreme within an extreme. Yeah, and we had a crew, um, you know, maybe, I forget how long ago, maybe 10 years now, that accidentally flew into an embedded tornado in the eye wall and, um, you know, caused an engine to fail and put the plane into a bit of a spiral. And so we've learned a lot from that, and we learn a lot every time we fly. And now we take different uh, approaches to the storm to avoid things like that. So what is it about the planes themselves that make them able to fly through these storms? Are there any special modifications or features that make them separate from another Orion? Yeah, absolutely. So the P3 Orion that we fly is specifically designated a WP3D Orion. The W is um, a reference to a weather platform. Uh, the P3 Orion was an aircraft built for the U.S. Navy, primarily for submarine hunting down at low altitudes. And the difference between a Navy P3 and an OP3 is actually... Uh, they're very, very similar, structurally very, very similar. We've made a few changes to things that are sticking to the airplane, such as radars and sensors and things like that. And structurally, the one thing that we really beefed up was the floorboards of the airplane just to be able to handle all the additional science gear that we carry on board. But as far as the airframe and the wings and the engines, they're all the same as a stock uh, P3 Orion. Granted, it was a you know World War II airplane that was built like a tank, which is why we like it. And, you know, one of the reasons why we fly the P-3 and why it's such a great aircraft to support the work that we do is this configuration. So four engines and very specifically four turboprop engines. So you'll notice most commercial airliners have big, what we call turbofan engines or big turbojets. 
and they have these big openings and they take the air and they squeeze it and they explode it and they shoot out the back and they make thrust and those work great but not if you're flying through a bathtub so what we have is a jet engine with a propeller bolted to it or called the turboprop airplane and the turboprops handle the rain ingestion into the motors uh, much better than a turbofan engine would and the other thing that we really like about the p3 is its responsiveness to power lever changes so on a jet engine, if you're on Southwest Airlines, you can get ready to take off and the pilots put the engines to max takeoff fire. You hear the engines go and they kind of spool up. And sometimes it takes, you know, eight to 10 seconds. In our aircraft, when we push the power levers forward, we have an instantaneous reaction. So when we have an updraft or a downdraft or a big bout of turbulence, we can quickly react to it and keep the plane flying safely. So it's constant corrections as you're dealing with the changing conditions of flying through it? Absolutely. We specifically have a crew member in the front. So we have a pilot in the left seat, a pilot in the right seat. And in the middle seat, we have uh, a person who's called a flight engineer. And the flight engineer's job uh, in the storm environment is actually to physically manipulate the power levers to maintain a set airspeed. And that's their whole job is reacting to those winds to make sure the airplane stays at a very specific speed that uh, keeps the airplane safe. So a lot more monitoring and constant adjustment than typical flight. Definitely no autopilot. Very much so. Very much so. Yep. So what about the pilots? What kind of special training do you need to be able to fly this kind of aircraft? Do you do like simulations? Do you do flying through like smaller storms first? Yeah, so there is no school for how to fly an airplane into a hurricane. There is uh, quite a bit of OJT, on-the-job training. So what we do is when it comes time for you to learn to fly the P-3 Orion, we send our pilots to a, a pretty rigorous school that usually takes about three months. And the job there is to really, really learn the systems of the aircraft and understand how everything is working. So when things do go wrong, you're able to respond appropriately. Um, all of our pilots go through simulator training initially and annually. We go to simulators where we have this big box that we can sit in and uh, an instructor sits behind you and just fails all sorts of stuff. And you get to practice on how to respond to that. Uh, we can simulate you know, poor weather, things like that. But as far as the storm flying goes, a lot of it is just done in the actual environment itself. So flying with other pilots that have been doing this for a long time and learning from them and learning from their stories and their experiences. And then, you know, we have a pretty rigorous uh, qualification process that takes you from uh, a brand new pilot to a co-pilot to what we call aircraft commander, which is similar to like the captain of an airliner. And then after you get aircraft commander, there's another qualification you need to meet, which is a hurricane qualified aircraft commander. And to be a hurricane qualified aircraft commander, you would have experienced all these different things that you need to get signed off by a senior pilot to make sure that our command and our people here feel comfortable with, you know, us taking an airplane into a hurricane. So pretty rigorous pro process. It took me about uh, three years to go from starting the P3 to being a hurricane qualified AC. Uh, and that's three pretty busy seasons. And you know, learned a lot in the last few years, for sure, because it's been pretty dynamic and we've been flying a lot. And how did you specifically end up here? Did you start saying, I want to fly through hurricanes and then go from there? Or did you get your pilot's license and then say, that sounds like an interesting job opening? Yeah, I, I originally went to uh, Florida Institute of Technology in Melbourne, Florida to be a pilot. And I always thought uh, pilots go be airline pilots. And at the same time, I had a love of aviation and science. And I found in my junior year of college, I learned about NOAA Corps, and I learned that NOAA had airplanes, and I found that to be a really great way to combine my love for the sciences and also love for aviation into one career. Uh, so after graduating college, 
I applied for the NOAA Corps. We require people to have degrees in science, math, or engineering. And uh, I actually ended up started flying some of NOAA's smaller aircraft. So we've got four twin otters. They're twin turboprop high-wing Canadian bush planes that we fly all over the country, all over the world, doing really interesting scientific missions. And then I moved into a different airplane called a Turbo Commander and flew a few years with the Turbo Commander, supporting a lot of uh, low-level, in-the-mountains, you know, hand-flying kind of stuff. And then after a few years of that, then I applied to be a hurricane hunter and got selected and went through the schooling for that. So uh, we liked our people that apply the P3 to be, you know, solid experienced aviators. So it typically takes, you know, quite a few years to get there. To finish any special plans for the upcoming hurricane season, do you just kind of wait till storms develop and then go fly at them? Yeah. So we have a, uh, what we call a hurricane watch bill. So it's a, it's a schedule that gets put out at the beginning of the hurricane season. And it says you're on call or you're off call. And we typically have two crews at all times ready to go on a moment's notice. So we get our tasking from uh, essentially two different people, either the National Hurricane Center that wants us to go out and tell the Hurricane Center where is the storm and what is it doing. And then we also have the Hurricane Research Division that says, I want to fly in the storm and I want to learn about it and I want to study it and I want to do experiments in the storm. So we do research and reconnaissance. Reconnaissance is go out and find out where the storm is. Research is study the storm. We'll fly things all the way from uh, what are called like low-level invests. So they're just little kind of scattered thunderstorms and they're not sure if it's going to develop. We'll go out and fly that uh, all the way up through tropical storms, cat one through five, and then all the way back down. Um, we're basically ready to go at a moment's notice to go support the needs of the Hurricane Center or the Hurricane Research Division. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining me and telling us all about how you can fly through a hurricane and good luck with the 2022 season. Thanks so much. Hoping for a calm season for everybody. Keep an eye out for part two next week when we'll learn how the data is collected after the hurricane hunters are actually inside of the storms. To learn more about extreme weather on your next visit to the Museum of Science, don't miss our daily lightning shows in the Theater of Electricity, featuring the world's largest indoor lightning storm. You can take a virtual tour of some of the equipment from home in our Sparks of Science video series. Until next time, keep asking questions.